It's 108. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So Eric Bill said, I blame you. I, I was looking at the WTMJ Facebook page, and I saw Saturday night that you and our general manager, Steve Wexler, and our new program director, and I think was our executive producer, yep. you guys all decided to take the company tickets and go to the Bucks game? Yeah, we did well, didn't we? Worst Bucks <laughs> game of the year. Uh, yeah. Boy, I tell you, talk about laying an egg. All I can say is I'm glad that you weren't at the Marquette game earlier on that day. <laughs> right, you know, that's right. that's where I was and stuff because, I mean, the Bucks still have the best record in the NBA, so they can afford a loss, but we needed that big win against Villanova. So That was that was a pretty uh, fantastic finish there at the end of that it, game. It was, you know, and I, I mean, I earlier that week they had lost – by one point to St. John's. Right, yeah. And I, I walked out saying, well, St. John's played a better game. They really controlled the game. And Marquette had a chance to steal it. But, but St. John's outplayed him. I felt the opposite way Saturday. Um, Marquette really, I think, dominated that game. And they deserved to win. But I, I tell you, Fiserv Forum was just rocking. It was National Marquette Day. And it was great. I told you this beforehand. Sitting behind me. I, I have this, I have season tickets. And one the row right behind me, a couple seats over. Our, his Honor, the mayor, hey, Tom Barrett. Tom yeah, Barrett. no, we... We had we had actually had Tom Barrett and I go back a long way and and we had actually a, a nice just a brief conversation. Sure. He saw me before I saw him. He kind of like pets. I was going to say pats me on the back. He more like slaps me on the back. But it was <laughs> it, it, it was it it was okay. And I just said you know, kind of tough week. And he said, yeah, it was oh, a yeah. tough week. But yeah. we we go back to uh, we go back to federal courts. When I when I started working in the U.S. Attorney's Office, he was a law clerk for the the late Robert Warren, former Attorney General, and was mm-hmm. a federal judge. Mm-hmm. And Bob Warren was just the greatest guy in the world. So that's that's how far Tom Barrett and I go back. And the one thing I will say about Tom Barrett is we we disagree about policy matters, but he I think he understands it's not personal. And right. so I, I sure. appreciated that. Okay, speaking speaking about law and things like that, we have something exciting going on. Um, every cup for the for on every day, the first couple segments of the program we live stream facebook.com slash six twenty WTMJ. Well, this is court reporting and captioning week. And our friends at eCourt Reporters, they did a transcript for us and insight last year. And uh, Karen, who is the president of eCourt Reporters, she she's in the studio. And matter of fact, if you live stream us, Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. And, you know, it, it really is kind of like Beauty and the Beast. Um, you can check it out. I'm wearing my Marquette, you know, pullover. But, but Karen Renee is here, and she is going to be doing a transcript of the part of the program that we put on Facebook uh, – live so you can check that out and that will be posted when we post the video a little bit later on so it's very cool so if you tune in what you'll see is a slightly different view than we typically do normally the camera is just focused on me but now we, we've got our court reporter again it's uh, e court reporters and karen and judy who are the president and vice president respectively are here they've been running um, different spots so you can hear a little bit about their business that's been going on during the day as well so first couple segments we're going to be having transcriptions how cool is that in addition, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 number of different tweets that we'll be talking about some of the things we're going to be covering on today's program. One in particular that's going to come up during the 1 o'clock hour of the show. There was a very, very popular cartoonist. Um, does a comic strip called Non Sequitur. It runs in over 700 newspapers. Well, yesterday... The guy decided to put what we will call an Easter egg in the the cartoon. And the Easter egg contains a very, very bad word directed at President Trump. 
Now, if you want to see the cartoon, I'll describe it during the 1 o'clock hour of the show, but if you want to see it, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, because we've got that. Um, again, I've sent that out. So far, only one newspaper has dropped the column because of this. And we're going to be discussing if somebody had done something like this when President Obama was president, my guess is every newspaper in the country would have dropped that strip. But yet you can put inappropriate words in the Sunday paper when it involves President Trump. We're going to be talking about that in the one o'clock hour of the program. But like I say, if you want to follow me, you can follow that. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. We send it out. Okay, let's get started. I want to dovetail on something that Steve Scafidi was talking about a little bit earlier in his program. But it's something that I feel strongly about, and it's where I want to start. There, essentially, in 2000, Measles had been eradicated in this country, uh, effectively. Why? Because we had developed vaccines which ended measles. Kids did not get sick anymore because of this vaccine. What's happened over the last 20 years or so is that measles has started to make a comeback, in part because more and more parents have decided they want to opt out of the vaccine. Currently, in nine states, there is a measles epidemic which is raging. In Wisconsin, here here are the numbers. What scientists aim for is 95% vaccination rate. They figure if you get 95% of kids who are vaccinated, that's going to kick in what they call the um, herd mentality. So as a result of the herd mentality, Um, Most people will be immunized. It will not be a problem. In Wisconsin and in 17 or 18 other states, you, meaning a parent, can opt out of having your kid vaccinated. The law says kids have to be vaccinated. But in Wisconsin and 17 or 18 other states, you can opt out of that, not just, number one, for a medical reason, but number two, for a reason of personal conviction. I don't like the measles vaccine. I I've, I heard Jenny McCarthy on TV talking about it, whatever. So as a result, more and more people have been choosing to do that. Let, let me give you the numbers. Like I say, the goal is you want to have 92%, 95% of kids vaccinated. Right now, today, in Wisconsin, that number is down to 92%. Some of that is because of medical waivers, but... of the people who have chosen not to be vaccinated are because of this just personal conviction thing. Mom and dad decide, I have a personal conviction. There's no medical reason, but I have a personal conviction about vaccines. And that's up from about 3% about seven or eight years ago. So the trend is, number one, measles is making a comeback. And number two, more and more parents are deciding in Wisconsin and in some of these other states that they want to opt out. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is absolutely ridiculous, and I understand I am going where angels fear to tread, that this disease is making a comeback 
because without any sort of medical reason, parents are making the decision not to have their children vaccinated. And I think the law needs to change, and I think it needs to change yesterday. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we make it too easy for parents not to have their kids vaccinated. And again, we are live streaming facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. We've got our friends in here from eCourt Reporters. They're going to be doing a transcript. Check it out. We'll back with your calls in just a moment. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve eighteen, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We're live streaming Facebook.com slash six twenty WTMJ. As I mentioned, our friends from E Court Reporters are in and doing a transcript of the first couple segments of the program. Karen and Judy are with us as well. All right. We're, we're talking about vaccine vaccinations. Measles, there's there is an outbreak of measles going on right now in nine states. In Wisconsin, because we allow parents to opt out of vaccines for no medical reason, no religious reason, just personal conviction, what's happened is the number of kids who have been vaccinated or vaccinated has now dropped below where they think you need to be for that herd mentality. And I just think it I think to me it is absolutely ridiculous that we are now at this point where a childhood disease, which was essentially eradicated, is now making a comeback. And I'm particularly scared about the, the kids, for example, who are going to be exposed to measles, who do have the health issues and they can't get the vaccines or they're too young to get the vaccines. And so they're exposed, whether it's in daycare or kindergarten or whatever, to kids who have the measles. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike downtown. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Yeah, of course the kids need to be vaccinated because what happens if they don't get vaccinated, is the uh, virus turns into some type of mutant strain, and then all of a sudden now they have to create a whole new vaccine altogether. Right. And we don't want to, not to mention we don't want another epidemic. Well, and that's, pre- I mean, thank, and that is precisely what is happening in a number of states. Washington State right now, Oregon, right now they're going through measles epidemics. And, and, and again, I, I understand for a lot of people, you say, okay, measles is a common childhood disease. You get measles, you're uncomfortable for a week or whatever, and then you get better, and then you've got that immunization. The problem is, let's say your kid comes down with measles. Your kid is at daycare or your kid, whatever, or kindergarten, and runs into a child who can't get vaccinated because, well, they're too young or they've got the health issues. In that case, you know, when that child comes down with measles, it could be a life-threatening situation. Let's talk to Kelly in West Bend. Kelly, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. It seems like not vaccinating your kids has almost become kind of a trendy thing, for lack of a better word. And I would say that the rise of social media has a lot to do with this. You have celebrities that come out and say that they don't think it's safe to vaccinate their kids because it leads to autism and, you know, all, all sorts of different things. But there's no real medical research to back that up. So you've got people that want to believe a celebrity over their doctor, right. and you're down a real dangerous road. 
Well, and of course, what happened a number of years ago is there was a, a, a now completely and totally discredited study that came out that suggested there might be some link between the, the vaccinations and, and autism. And so now everybody kind of jumped on that bandwagon, not realizing that everybody now realizes that was a completely and totally discredited study and then to your point you have like the jenny mccarthy's of the world that go on ellen or whatever show and they say well i'm convinced that the reason my child has this sickness is because they were vaccinated and then it just kind of spreads like wildfire right and and i'm afraid we're listening to the wrong people well right i mean thanks to call now again i i want people to understand i understand that there are some people who can some children who cannot be vaccinated because of the health reasons and and for those it is completely and totally appropriate um, to, to opt out but if it were only the kids that had the health issues which is a very very small number you would be well over that 95 percent of vaccination level that they want for the, the herd immunity they're talking about the problem of course is once you start in Wisconsin and in 17 or 18 other states allowing people to just opt out essentially because they feel like it, what happens is when 5% of the people, and that's what the numbers are, the most recent numbers I have, 5% of people with in Wisconsin with kindergartners who opt out just because they feel like it, not because of medical reasons, well, you're already below that threshold for that herd mentality that you're trying for. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Adam in Brookfield. Adam, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. So two solutions that'll nip this in the bud. One, don't let the kids in school. If they're in preschool, let the parents sit home. They can babysit their sick kid instead of going to work. If they're in a real school, then bust them for truancy violations when the kid doesn't show up. And secondly, if there's ancillary care required, the health insurance doesn't pay a dime. And that'll get these kids in school with a vaccinate, with a vaccination pronto. Well, I guess, I mean, I... What do you say, though, to the parents who say, well, it should be my choice? I mean, I, I shouldn't be required to put something, a foreign sub- substance, into my child's arm. You are correct, except it has a detrimental effect on the vast majority of the population that does get vaccinated. Right. So that choice goes out the window. Right. It, right. Thanks. If, if you want your child to be able to interact, see that I agree with you. It's kind of like the old Star Trek two thing where the, you know, the, the good of the many <laughs> outweigh the needs of the one. Now, again, I, I understand if there is a medical reason why a child shouldn't be vaccinated. Well, I, I get that. But but just this, I want to opt out. The effect is that you are putting other people's children at risk when you do that. Now, if you decide that you don't want to send your kids to daycare or you don't want to send your kids to preschool or you want to homeschool your children so you don't want to have them vaccinated, that's perhaps a whole different story. But if you are going to put them into these school type of settings, I don't think it is unreasonable to expect people to have a vaccination. And I've been arguing this for years. But now these chick, if I can use the cliche, the chickens are starting to come home to roost because now what you're starting to see is a large number of people who are getting this disease. The same thing has been going on in Europe, and it's back in a big time in several European countries as well. And this was a childhood disease which um, we essentially had eradicated. 414-799-1620. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? I mean- uh, well, I, I think it's, it's, it, it should be mandated. I mean, look at whooping cough is coming back, measles is coming back, you know, whatever. And, you know, to use the argument, well, it's my choice, you know, blah, 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 kind of stuff like that, fine. Then where's the choice with putting your, your kid in a, in a, in a, 
uh, seatbelt or, you know what I mean? It's, right. Oh, sure. Yeah, we, we right. We, we, we have all sorts of rules, right? Yeah, and so I mean, it, it really kind of comes down to um, no. I, I think should, they shouldn't be allowed to be in school in, in public if they're homeschooling, like you said earlier. So homeschool, fine, knock yourself out, you know, whatever. But if you're going to be in public, and if there's not some medical reason, proven medical reason that they can't right. be immunized, then they have to be. I mean. That's just the, I, the reality of it. Yeah, really? no, I, I'm, I'm with you, Dave. I mean, I, I agree. Let's go. Let's take a couple of our texts. Uh, it doesn't only affect children, Jeff. This exposure also affects elderly people. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you have. Okay, you have a child that's not vaccinated who has the measles virus who, you know, you, you take them over to visit grandma or grandpa in the, the assisted living facility or the retirement community. And, it, in, you know, you're exposing, you know, elderly people to this as well. Let's see. Is it my right as a parent to ask the school if there are children not vaccinated attending? I would argue, yeah, here's Mitch and Sturgeon basis. It's quite irresponsible to opt out of vaccinations and possibly initiate a pandemic because you're misinformed or following a trend. I consider it to be very um, dangerous. That's my point. Okay, here's another text. Jeff, I'm allergic to the pertussis whooping cough vaccine. I will be risking my health soon to see if I can protect myself by getting it. Yes, it is way too easy to opt out. There's another one of our texters. Make it a state law for vaccination in 49 states. All the anti-vaccinating people can go live in California. Well, okay. I, I want everybody to stay in Wisconsin. But, but I think it's too easy to opt out of this. And we are starting to see the effect of it. And when you see the, the herd immunity, which the level is 95%, we are below it. It is increasing on a dramatic basis. We had this disease eradicated, and now it is making a comeback. And to me, it's just silly that this is occurring, and I think the state legislature needs to take a long, hard look at it. Okay, thanks for participating in our Facebook Live. Thanks to our friends with eCourt Reporters. Once we post the Facebook Live, we'll also have a transcript of this segment as well. It's been fun. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the Milwaukee Brewers 2019 championship season right around the corner. This weekend is your first chance to secure your spot at Miller Park. It's the annual Arctic Tailgate, which gives fans a chance to purchase single-game tickets for the first time. WTMJ will be there all weekend in our big tailgater studio. Come by, say hello. Don't forget, WTMJ is your home for Brewers baseball. On that last segment, a couple people texting me saying, Well, Jeff, what about people who have not medical reasons about getting their kids vaccinated, but legitimate religious reasons? To which I would say that's fine, but the trade-off is then you don't get to send your kids to public school. That that's that that to me is the trade off. If if you want to, like I say, if if you decide that you know I don't want to go down this route, well, fine. Then you you know work out alternatives. You homeschool your kids or whatever. But that's to me the balancing. Should the state be able to say, well, you have to get your kid vaccinated? Well, well, no. But if you want to take advantage, for example, of the public school system, I I think. That And there's not a valid medical reason. I think that's what you end up doing. Hey, I mentioned this at the start of the show. If you follow me at Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Every day I try to send out some of the things that we're going to be talking about on the show. One thing that is coming up in the next hour of the program is, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting commentary. There is a cartoonist who does does a daily cartoon strip for people who still read cartoons. Gru, who's producing the show today and always. Do you read the funnies? Do you read the funnies? 
Not all. No. Well, I, I mean, I I still I still do. Like I. I, I don't get a hard copy of, for example, the local newspaper delivered anymore, but I will go to their, their e-edition. You can go online. You can see the way the – because I always like to see not just the stories but how they, they have it laid out. But I, I read the funnies online every morning. I've got seven or eight of the funnies I read. In any event, this is a, a comic strip that appeared on Sunday. It, it's a comic called Non Sequitur. I don't think they carry it here. But it, 700 newspapers, and the the cartoonist – says he put in a quote-unquote Easter egg, which is like a, a surprise. Well, the Easter egg involves a, a really bad word that you certainly can't say on the radio, and you wouldn't have think, think that you'd be able to put it in a cartoon strip that appears um, in newspapers on Sundays. And it was done, nobody at the different newspapers knew it was there, so they couldn't take it out. If this had happened when Barack Obama was the president, I have no doubt that every newspaper in the country would have canceled this strip. So far, it's only one. If you want to actually see the strip itself, again, if you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 on Twitter. I've sent out a link to that. Okay. Last week, very, very bad week in the city of Milwaukee with the deaths of two public employees. You had the guy on Friday, the man who, Brian Rodriguez, who was just just working filling potholes. 8.15 or so in the morning, a car slams into him. Apparently somebody not paying attention kills him, rams into the truck. The driver, as we were just talking about a minute ago, gets out and flees. The driver is still at large. The female passenger in the front seat, she was apprehended. The, the car was, like, totaled, so the car was abandoned. So the, the driver is still at large. It, it, sooner or later, they, they will catch him, you know, and it's just it's kind of like, okay, why why run? You just mad, make matters much, much worse if, if you run. But you had that horrible situation, and that came on the heels of what happened Wednesday when you had the Milwaukee police officer, Matthew Rittner, who was part – I mean, this guy's just, he's the classic example of an American hero. A military guy, multiple term, multiple tours overseas. He's at the Milwaukee Police Department, highly cited. Um, everybody loved him, very, very well respected. And he's part of the specialized SWAT team, the Tactical Enforcement Unit. These are the guys that go through the doors executing the search warrants. Well, the criminal complaint came out over the weekend, and I, I want to... I want to walk through it briefly, and then you know, I have a question for you. All right, we, we all know the alleged, and I'm, I'm going to say alleged once, and then you can just put in alleged everywhere else when I mention the suspect, the defendant's name, because individuals are presumed innocent until the state proves them guilty. But the man who's charged with the murder, his name is Jordan Frick. All right. He's apparently a small-time drug dealer and gun dealer. What happened is, a couple months ago, the Milwaukee Police Department arrests a guy in a shots-fired complaint, and, and he's, got a, he's got a gun on him. Then they start trying to you know work backwards from this, and it turns out that the guy who has the gun had purchased it from someone else who had apparently, allegedly, gotten the gun through this Jordan Frick. There's, they call it, it straw purchasing, and what that is is where you have somebody, maybe you're not legally allowed to buy a gun, so you have somebody else buy the gun. It's under their name, so they can't trace it back to you. Well, they start investigating this Jordan Frick and one of his associates saying that um, it appears that he was 
using somebody to make straw purchases of guns and then and then selling them. The idea being it's difficult to find out where the gun originally comes comes from. He's also selling small. He's a so he's a, a minor league. I say minor league, but only to the extent of he's not selling hundreds or thousands of guns. He's selling five and 10 or 15 guns, not minimizing what he's doing. But he's doing that, and he's selling small quantities of marijuana out of his house. As part of the investigation into the guns and the drugs, the Milwaukee police develops a confidential informant. They do what they call controlled buys. What that means is you have your informant. You give your informant 40 bucks. You take your informant to the guy, to the to the drug house. The informant goes up. Um, you watch him go to the door. He comes back. He doesn't have the money, and he's got the drugs. So that's what you would call a controlled buy. They do that on two occasions, and based on again the information they have and the controlled buys of small amounts of marijuana, they get a search warrant. So what happens is last Wednesday, the tactical enforcement unit they go over to execute the, the search warrant. And what they do is it's a no-knock search warrant because they know there's drugs or they believe there's drugs in the house, which can be easily disposed of, and they believe that there's guns in the house, which presents a danger. So what they do is they're supposed to announce themselves, and then, boom, they, they can go in. So what happens here is they have... They have a, a ram, and that's what Officer Rittner is carrying. It's like a battering ram, and you, you swing it back, and you, you hit the door with it, and the, the door, it makes a hole in the door, the door goes down. So what happens is you have a number of police officers, tactical enforcement unit, they go over to this house, and I have in my hands the the criminal complaint, but essentially what's happening is you've got several officers who are screaming police, search warrant, Milwaukee police, search warrant, etc. And they enter this residence through the now-breached rear door of the residence, um, screaming police, search warrant, Milwaukee police, search warrant. Then they start climbing the rear stairs to the upper unit, which is where the defendant lives. And they get up there. They're still screaming Milwaukee police, um, open up, et cetera, et cetera. So they're identifying themselves as police to everyone. So they get to the, this upstairs door. They're yelling, Milwaukee police, we have a search warrant. The door was locked. So at that point in time, Officer Rittner, um, he has this one-man little battering ram, and what he does is he uses the ram device while he's banging on the door. There's another officer screaming, search warrant, Milwaukee police. I have seen the way these search warrants gets executed, by the way, and, and let me just point this out. The tactical squad is not subtle. I mean, you're screaming, search warrant, Milwaukee police. They want people to know what is going on. They are very loud. They announce their presence with authority. All right, so they're screaming police. They've used, Officer Rittner has used the ram. He's banged a hole in this rear door, and according to the criminal complaint, almost immediately four gunshots are fired through the opening in the door from inside of the residence, and one of those bullets struck and killed Officer Rittner. All right, so here's here's what happens next. The defendant's girlfriend um she's she's sleeping with him in the bedroom 
Her story is she woke up to loud noises. She heard yelling and banging and that defendant gets out of bed and goes to the kitchen. She says she follows him in the kitchen. She sees that he's got a gun that he's pointing at the door. She says she hears somebody screaming police search warrant. She heard somebody yell at least twice, once when she was entering the kitchen, once while she was in the kitchen standing next to him, and then she shoot, sees the defendant shoot at the kitchen door. She believes through the opening that police had made in the door. The girlfriend says she knew it was the police at the door because they identified themselves, but despite this, the defendant fired his weapon. The defendant's story Statement of defendant, I'll read it as it appears in the complaint. Regarding the incident, the defendant admitted to being in bed with his girlfriend when he was awoken by a loud noise and yelling. The defendant several times claimed he did not hear what was being yelled, but later did admit that when he entered his kitchen from the bedroom, he heard someone yell police outside the kitchen door. He claimed he never heard search warrant, but he did admit to hearing police yelled at least twice. The defendant said that when someone began hammering on the door, he thought they were yelling police. The defendant, however, stated he did not think it was actually the police attempting to enter his residence. Okay. The defendant stated, and I'm quoting from the criminal complaint, that he had armed himself with his AK-47 pistol and aimed at the center of the door where a hole had been made. The defendant admitted that he aimed at the hole where he saw a person standing and shot. After the shooting... He said that uh, he saw another person come to the door with police on his chest, and he claimed that it was at this point at which he realized that it was actually the police. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So essentially, to the extent it is a defense, the marijuana dealer, gun dealer, His story is, yeah, everybody was screaming and they were yelling police, but I didn't really think it was the police, so that's why I fired. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am not buying what this guy is selling. Your reaction to his story, his explanation, and part of this, I have to tell you, like I say, I have personally witnessed the, the tactical unit of the Milwaukee Police Department exercise and, and you know implement search warrants, arrest warrants on multiple residences back in another life. They are not subtle. They are screaming police. They are identifying themselves precisely because they want to avoid this situation. I don't know what the defendant was thinking when he decided to fire on the police officers in this case, but you will never convince me that he did not know that he was firing on police officers. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A number of people are asking, was the officer wearing a vest? He, he was. He, he was fully outfitted. Um, it, it must... I can't quite tell from the autopsy report. It sounds like it, it just has happened sometimes. The the, the bullet is at, a, at an angle or something that, that obviously wasn't protected. But in any event, the murderer, his to an extent it's a defense is, well, I, I just I didn't believe it was the police that were screaming police search warrant. And that's why I fired 414-799-1620. Dave on the south side. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, like you, I don't believe that either. But, Jeff, what's the chances of him using that as a defense and saying it was like a 
rival drug dealer or something else, what's his chances of that? Well, I mean, no, thanks for the call, Dave. I mean, I, I guess that, I, I, I mean, let, let's put it like this. You know, you, you fire through a door and kill anybody, and you're you're going to be, you know, held accountable unless you can have some thought about, well, it was self-defense and I needed to exercise that. I don't see that, that going too very far uh, because the bottom line is you, you've got people that are shouting police and you knowingly and intentionally fired on on individuals who were identifying themselves that way. It, it's if if that's what he's going to try to sell, that that's fine. But I don't think people are buying it. And candidly, I'm I'm not buying it either. Police are saying, you know, police, police. There is no question that again, Milwaukee police are not subtle when they are doing this, and they're not subtle for precisely this reason because they want people to know that it is it's the cops that are coming through that door, so don't fire on them. Um, and there's no question. Somebody say, why are you giving him so much respect, calling him a defendant instead of a thug? Well, he, he's a defendant, but he he is a, a thug as well. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This also underscores the danger that police officers find themselves in on a daily basis basis. I, I talk about this a lot, but it's I always hate the phrase routine traffic stop, for example, because there's never any such thing as a routine traffic stop. You're a police officer, you pull somebody over because they've got a defective taillight. You don't know if they've got a body in their trunk. You don't know what you're walking up to. You don't know if they're armed and and so you think you're just making a routine traffic stop and next thing you know you're you're involved you're putting your life on on the line cuz think of all the times that happens when it's clearly the police that have made a stop this is another one of these examples the tactical unit identifying themselves. I don't know why the guy decided to fire. I, I just don't. And that's going to be one of the questions that you'll never really figure out. But this idea that, well, my story is I, I wasn't sure that it was the police. Everybody's screaming police. So I decided to fire. I will tell you one of the other things, and I, I think maybe the chief or the assistant chief alluded to this, for everybody who thinks that the police overreact in situations, I think it is a testament to the quality, the integrity, and the professionalism of the Milwaukee Police Department that in a circumstance like this, this particular individual, whatever you want to call him, the murderer, is unharmed and alive to stand trial because it's not too difficult to imagine a scenario where you have somebody with a high-powered weapon that fires indiscriminately through a door, kills a police officer, you could easily see a response from the police department that would probably be completely and totally appropriate that resulted in well, us not having to have a trial. And nevertheless, the men and women of the Milwaukee Police Department engaged in such outstanding professionalism that the guy was taken into custody essentially without an incident after the, the shooting. In other words, they, they didn't, the cops, you know, didn't fire back. Um, he is still alive to stand trial, which again, I think is a testament to the professionalism of what you ended up seeing here. So this is how it's all going to play out. The quote unquote defense is going to be, well, I know they identified themselves, but I just didn't believe them. So that's why I fired at them. Well, uh, I guess we'll, we'll see 
how far that takes him. If I was the judge or I was on the jury, it wouldn't take me very far. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, I, I sent out a link to this on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. It is an extremely provocative column, I think, written by an African-American female columnist on the subject of blackface. And it's an interesting follow-up to a conversation we had on Friday. Stick around. We'll be back with that in just a couple minutes. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so Eric, you are, in addition to being an outstanding on-air personality... You wear multiple hats around here at WTMJ, including you. You are also a manager. You okay, people. Yep, yep. What do you mean? Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to see where you're going. No, with no, this. no, no. You, you, you have you have people that report <laughs> to you, and you do evaluation. I'm Gru, who's producing the show today. I'm trying to be complimentary to him. He thinks I am leading him down this this path. No, no, no. You're you're a manager, so you have people that report to you and yes. things like that, right? Yeah. And it's been that way for a number of years. All right. I, well, I want to dovetail on something you had in your your newscast. The um, the, this one of the latest Democratic candidates for president, Amy Klobuchar, for, who's a Democrat from Minnesota. All right. So she announces last week that she's running. Now it is coming out that. She can't find anybody to work for her because, well, this is the way the Huffington Post reports it, not a conservative bastion. Accounts from several of her former employees that surfaced in recent days describe a long history of Kubachar constantly berating her staff and creating a hostile work environment. At least three people have withdrawn from consideration to lead her 2020 campaign, in part because of her behavior as a boss. That's surprising because right. usually people want to be a campaign manager. You're looking for that job. Well, yeah, because if you you get your person nominated or elected, mm-hmm. you know you can write your your own ticket. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so you got these people saying we want no part of it. In interviews with BuzzFeed and the Huffington Post, former staffers said Klobuchar regularly chastised and shouted at her employees over minor errors, berated them in late night emails, and sometimes threw objects leaving workers in tears. Others said she would task them with her personal errands, such as washing dishes at her home. Okay, now, Eric, you've been a manager for a number of years. All right, I, I don't ever recall you. Th- I, you might have been tempted to throw stuff at employees from time to time, but do you ever remember a situation where you chucked something at an employee? No, no, I've never thrown anything, never thrown any binders or anything like that. Uh, right, okay. No one's doing my laundry either. Well, that, that was my other question. Now, I know you're, you're very busy. Your wife works outside the home. You've got yeah. kids. I'm sure it would have been great, you know, if you could have... I don't know, taking some of the people that work for you and had them go over and clean your house and vacuum and wash. Hey, could you take my car out and have it washed? And, and by the way, do some dishes and stuff. You ever, you ever done that as a manager? <laughs> no, I have not. No, no, no. Okay, well, so here, here, here's the other thing here. Klobuchar's mistreatment, and again, I'm coming from the Huffington Post. Klobuchar's mistreatment of staff was so bad that it caused then-Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid, old Harry, um, to privately reprimand her in 2015. So apparently there were so many complaints that Harry, who was the Senate Minority Leader, he, he apparently had to talk to her. So what does what does Harry say about this? This is my favorite part. Harry does not recall if the encounter occurred. <laughs> you know, uh. he, He's like, well, I... I don't remember. What do you mean you don't remember? I mean, seriously. I mean, either you know, either you did or you didn't. I I just don't exactly remember whether I told her don't have people wash your dishes and stop throwing crap at other employees. Huh. 
So that's not part of your management training, huh? <laughs> no, no. All right, no, I've got that going for me. All right, good enough. Well, we'll 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 just see. But this is this is. I mean, this is. And by the way, this is not like opposition research. This is not like the Trump administration or the Republicans. This is Democrats saying, "Well, you know, we just can't find people to work with her." Her story is, "Well, I'm I'm demanding. I have high expect expectations for myself and for the people that work for me," which is, I, I think, perfectly reasonable. I mean. But maybe, you know, that doesn't mean you have them do your dishes <laughs> or or maybe you can have those high expectations. And when they they fail to meet them, maybe you can counsel them instead of throwing binders at them. <laughs> just 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 saying. All right. This is the latest Democratic wannabe for president. Hey, I OK. I as long as we're down this like weird path. All right, there's this whole story between the, with the richest guy in in this country, this Jeff Bezos. He's the guy that founded Amazon. I mean, you know, you want to talk about somebody who has a great idea. I mean, he he started out. I want to sell books over the internet, and then he he turned that into you know Amazon.com. So what happens if you're not familiar with the story? You've got Bezos, who's married to his wife for years and years. He starts having this affair with a a TV reporter. Her name is Lauren Sanchez. And now, and then what happened, Bezos also owns the Washington Post, so um, he's been an outspoken critic of of the Trump administration, and there are some people who say that he's been using the Washington Post to to consider that, that criticism. Okay, fine. Well, Bezos is getting a divorce from, from his wife, who found out that he had this mistress on the side and was having the affair. What happens is... For reasons that pass understanding, and again, Wagner's rule of life number four is that unless you're a pornographic film star, and maybe even then, it's not a good idea to take nude pictures of yourself. I, I just write that one down. If you don't believe any other of my rules of life, trust me, that's not that, that's that's a good one. But anyhow, Bezos, who is. I don't know how old he is. He's a middle-aged guy. I mean, I I don't exactly understand why this would be chick bait, but he apparently takes some nude photographs of himself below the belt, as it as it were. You know, take takes some nude photographs of his junk, and then sends them off to his girlfriend. I, you know, what what he was. Well, we know what he was thinking, but he sends them off. So anyhow, what happens is these these photographs somehow end up in the hands of the National Enquirer. And now there's this whole thing. He's saying, well, I was being extorted and blackmailed by the National Enquirer. They were saying they were going to publish these photographs unless I did this. And the National Enquirer is saying it's it's not it's not extortion at all, et cetera, et cetera. Look, I, I got to tell you, in a, in a battle between Jeff Bezos and the National Enquirer, I say a pox on all their house. I, I don't I could care. I could care less about, you know, what's going on between the two of them. They, they all deserve each other. But one of the speculations, one of the parlor games has been who leaked these nudie photos of Bezos's junk to the National Enquirer. And there was all this rampant speculation. It was, well, maybe it was the Trump administration. Maybe it was the Saudi government. I, it's all these weird things. Well, it now turns out that the person who apparently leaked the the racy pictures and messages was the mistress's brother 
the person who gave the National Enquirer Jeff Bezos' steamy sex was the brother of the Amazon billionaire's mistress, a report said Sunday. It was not known how Lauren Sanchez's sibling, Michael, obtained the racy messages, but multiple sources told the Daily Beast that he was the one who supplied them. Michael Sanchez allegedly thought the tabloid's January report revealing Bezos and Lauren's affair had been encouraged by Republican operatives. The brother also believed the Enquirer had gone after the story with President Trump's knowledge and appreciation. But in any event, the guy who's apparently a Republican, it, it's it's the brother. So his sister is ha- this. You I mean, you just need a scorecard to figure out how weird this is. All right. I'm trying. To, I don't have a sister, but I'm trying to imagine your sister is having a torrid extramarital affair with like the richest guy in the country. How you find like the the nudie pictures that he has taken of himself that that's that's a whole other other thing, but then you find them and you decide I'm going to run to the National Enquirer with them. I mean, again, this is one the whole bunch, the whole dysfunctional family, all of them deserve to just be kind of bundled up and, and put on the latest edition of Survivor and let them all vote each other out of the island. Just saying. All right, when we come back, I sent a link to the story out on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 an African-American columnist suggesting maybe this is how we should handle blackface, both past, present, and future. Stick around. We're going to discuss. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This week's Spring Into Your Home Showcase, sponsored by our good friends at Adair Floors and Remodeling. Get personal care by Adair. On Friday's program, we, we actually spent about three segments. I almost never devote three segments to any particular topic. But we, we talked about the subject of, of blackface. And again, everybody knows what's going on in Virginia. You have the governor of Virginia who he says it's not him now but he originally acknowledged it was him and apologized he acknowledges that he dressed in blackface and on his medical school yearbook page there's a picture of him apparently in blackface um, at a party standing next to somebody who's wearing a kkk outfit Hmm. Um, he says that that after initially apologizing and and saying sorry he's now acknowledged that while he did wear blackface on other occasions he doesn't think that's him all right and, and so this has inspired this huge conversation about blackface, and we've had it before. I think, and, and it was an interesting conversation on Friday, um, and, and we had a couple callers, African-American callers in particular, who made the point that they did not feel that any white person who had ever appeared in blackface at any point in time in their life was qualified or fit to hold public office. I mean, ever, ever. And I I just, I've been thinking about this all weekend because I, I think clearly, you know, by, by contemporary standards, we all know and should realize that, that blackface is inappropriate and it's hurtful, etc. And it's probably always been that way, except the, the whether you want to call it being woke or, or whatever, I think if you go back 20, 30, 40 years And it was perhaps, while still arguably inappropriate, I think there were a lot of people who didn't realize how hurtful it was. And so if you went to that Halloween party dressed as Mr. T in 1981, right, it it wasn't maybe it maybe it was insensitive, but it wasn't intended to be hurtful. It was just, hey, I'm going to this Halloween party dressed like this. It wasn't also intended to be to be racist, 
Now, there's certainly examples of blackface that would have been racist today, would have been racist in 1982, would have been racist in 1970. The step and fetch it thing. I'm going to show up dressed as Aunt Jemima, something like that. I, I'm going to do the Amos and Andy stuff. I'm going to show up dressed in blackface, and I'm going to be walking next to somebody who's wearing a KKK hood, and, and they have a noose. So, I mean, I understand that there are certain types of situations that would have always been overtly racist. There are other examples, and I'm talking about maybe the more benign type of things that, in retrospect, probably inappropriate, but no real evil intent. At least, I I would argue, no real evil intent. And the question becomes, for those people who might have, uh, again, gone dressed as, as Mr. T or gone dressed as Michael Jackson to the Halloween party or whatever. And you you do that in 1975, you do that in 1978, or you do that in 1980. Does that mean in 2019 you are not fit to serve in public office? Well, anyhow, there was was a – and I would argue no. I mean, I I would argue that there needs to be a statute of limitations on on bad behavior and that there was – right or wrong, a a different level of acceptance for certain type of things. And I'm willing to bet, and I was never one of them. So you can go search through all the pictures of me. You're never going to find a picture of me in blackface. But I'm willing to bet that there were occasions years and years and decades ago where some people decided, hey, I'm going to have a costume and I'm going to dress like so-and-so. I'm going to go as a member of the Harlem Globetrotters. And what you were really doing is you were dressing as a member of the Harlem Globetrotters. You weren't trying to make a racist statement. So anyhow, there's a column in the Chicago Tribune today by an African-American columnist. Her name is Darlene Glanton. Let me read a, a portion of this. Everybody is talking about blackface now. It's about time. Maybe white people will learn once and for all that it's a bad idea to make your face darker as part of a costume. It's racist and it's always have been. This offensive idea that many white people have come up with to paint their face black or brown for Halloween, a dance contest, or practically any other event when they decided a darker skin tone would complement their outfit is far from being anything new. And it goes on to talk about all the different things. Um, she says, it's not just that white people apparently had no idea that so many other white people were doing this kind of things. Uh, black people have always known it's been going on behind our backs and sometimes right in front of us. And so now then she goes on to talk about the situation in, in Virginia. But this is what she concludes by writing. The way I see it, there's only one way out of this this mess. The fact that apparently so many people have a blackface incident at some point in time in their past. So she writes, the way I see it, there's only one way out of this mess. As of today, black people have to forgive every white person who has ever worn blackface. But if anyone does it tomorrow, we're coming after you. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk about, again, what I'm describing as the more benign examples of someone wearing wearing blackface, not the overtly racist situations where clearly what you're doing is you're intending to mock, etc. But the, the the kid in college who dresses like Mr. T because, hey, they think it's going to be cool and darkens his skin. Well, okay, understandably, doing that in 2019, everybody would agree, bad. Should you be able to give them a pass for what they did in 1980, saying, all right, different standards, different thinking, people aren't as woke, but we're going to give it, we're going to give it a pass 
but we're going to say moving on. All right, no. 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 127. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 129, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I've actually been thinking a lot about this. We had a very interesting conversation on Friday's show about about blackface and had a couple callers, African-American callers, who said, I don't think that they don't think that anybody who has ever worn blackface as a costume that anybody should would, should ever be allowed should be able to serve in in public office because it says something about their character and the way they view uh, in this case you know black other the black people and there's an interesting column in the Chicago Tribune today that talks about how there's a lot of white people out there who just maybe never realized how hurtful this this whole thing was and it suggests okay maybe we should just give a pass to people who did this before understanding that okay from now on it, it's it, there's it's like a no acceptance zone. Is that a reasonable way to handle this? I mean, or if particularly in some parts of the country, if we start saying anybody who's ever, I don't know, gone to a costume party dressed as Mr. T, despite the fact that it might have been in 1975, you you can't be you can't serve in office. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Gary in Oak Creek. Gary, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, my comment on this is that we need to uh, uh, evaluate the situations, you know, uh, on their position, meaning that, uh, you know, is it is it really intent of uh, racism? You know, I, I was talking with your uh, uh, producer first yep. person at... You know, back in the day, Al Jolson, he wore blackface, and his audience was black and white, and he was the leading. He was one mm-hmm. of the leading entertainers in vaudeville. Uh, you know, we have men dressing up as women for comedy shows and everything. Uh, you know, we 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 are over judging this, and this governor in Virginia, although this was thirty five years ago. We, what is he, you know, has he done any of these acts lately? What is he, he's devoted 35 years right. of service to his, his uh, state or, or to the country or whatever? I mean... Well, right, I think, no, no, I'm, I, Gary, th- see, I guess that's to me, I think at some point in time, there needs to be a statute of limitations on bad behavior. Now, I, I, I don't care whether the governor of Virginia goes or stays. And and as I said, I, I think his his reaction has been really, really strange. Yes, this is me. No, now I've decided it's it's not me. But but I, I do think that it's very difficult to take contemporary standards of what's acceptable and say you do something like this when maybe the standards were different. Now, you can argue maybe they shouldn't have been different. But, I, I mean, so, again, I keep coming back to this example. You know, Mr. T is, you know, really big back in the early 1980s. So somebody in college goes to a party dressed as Mr. T. You would now say, all right, so it, it doesn't matter anything that you've done over the course of the last, like, 35 years. You, you are not qualified to hold public office and that's and and I, I guess I have trouble with that now it may very well be that for example you look at some individual's behavior between then and now and you come to the conclusion that no that this person is he really is a racist or she's a racist or whatever but but that mere fact that you went to that Halloween party in 1980 now if somebody shows up 
today, given the fact that understanding that we have different standards, that that's a whole different story. I mean, I can remember, and again, this wasn't me, so don't bother looking for old photographs or stuff, but I mean, I, the example I was giving on Friday, I can remember going to Halloween parties and people would come dressed as the Lone Ranger and Tonto. All right, well, now, you you know, is, is that now you're racist because you're, you're dressed as Tonto and you're a white person? Well, maybe it's just, okay, it's the Lone Ranger and, and Tonto. I mean, it, it's, we're not trying to make this sort of like larger statement. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Ann in Oconomowoc. Hi, Ann. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Well, you're, the callers before me really kind of throw my thunder because that's exactly what um, what I wanted to say was that, you know, back in the 30s and 40s, all of this was acceptable. And I don't know what year um, things really turned to be as, you know, mm-hmm. correct, well, you know, politically well. correct as they are today. However, in my, in my mind, I'm going to mimic what you said. I really feel there's room for forgiveness. I mean, this was a long time ago. and. Right. I don't know that this gentleman should be judged, you know, today on on today's standards when this happened a long time ago. You well, know what I'm saying? Right. And it, thanks for calling. See, and like the, the Virginia governor, again, th- this is a difficult one for me because he, if that's him in the photo, and I, I've been saying this since the story first broke, um, if if I went to a party dressed in blackface with somebody who was dressed in the KKK outfit, I would remember that. I have trouble with the credibility of the Virginia governor regardless. Uh, but again, I'm I'm trying to use some examples that might be, again, more benign. You know, somebody, you know, you, you show up and is it always intentionally racist? Now, I understand there's lots of African-American people who say, well, yeah, it it, it was, and this was just a degree of insensitivity. Oh, okay, that that's fine. And I, I'm willing to accept and don't argue with the fact that, you know, if by current contemporary standards, definitely, this is something you just don't go dressed up in blackface. But that's by current contemporary Temporary standards. I, I don't know that it's fair to say to the college kid in 1978 that you did this, and so now you can't be the governor of Virginia 40 years later. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Eddie in Franklin. Hi, Eddie. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Love yes, your sir. show. Thank you, sir. Uh, you know, if this happened back in the 80s, well, in the late 70s, there was a movie called Silver Street with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Yep. Where there's a big scene in there where Gene Wilder puts on blackface to try to kind of get past some some gates that they were looking for him, and that was a big hit. Yep. And I think back then, like you know, with shows like Sanford and Son, All in the Family, it was still not, you know, to the point where people were like, okay, wait a minute, we got to draw the line here. I think I don't want to say acceptable, but even Hollywood was still putting, you know, those images out there. For a comedic value. Oh, okay, Jimmy think- Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, Jimmy Kimmel. He used to do this thing called the Man Show before he was on ABC. You know, there, there's right, situations right. in you know, like the early 2000s. He's dressed up in blackface and all. It was just it. It was viewed differently. Now, maybe maybe it shouldn't have been, but it, the reality was it, it was. And is it fair, like you say, can you say, okay, Gene Wilder shouldn't have done this? Are all the other countless examples you can find of, you know, people who did that because it, it wasn't and it wasn't intended to be racist now there's certainly some examples you know eddie that you can find of people who dressed in blackface and they did intend it to be racist oh for sure for but sure. but and for I, the I, what i'm saying is the benign thing is it fair to say you can't you can't hold office today and i, I have trouble with that 
And I think that the ladies got a good point as far as saying, okay, look, let's draw the line here. If anybody does it from now on, you're, we're well, well aware of it. You know, now everybody's you know socially aware of the implications of this. And, and it's like, if you do it now, yeah, you're going right. to get called down on it. But I, I do agree. I think there is a statute of limitations on that because back then, and it was, really wasn't that far. Like you said, Jimmy Kimmel was even further up. Yep. But just people looked at some of those things, and it was, there was a comedic value to it. And I don't condone it by any means, but I just think that people were not aware of right. the, 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 how far it, it, was, it was reacting to people. Where it, they were like, you know what, this is kind of racist. It, you right. Stop doing that. It, exactly, Eddie. Thank, thanks for calling. This I, somebody sent me a note the other day and said, you know, I, I, I started listening to your program and I find you to be. I was kind of surprised because I thought you'd be a ranter, and I actually I find you to be a voice of reason. I said it's the nicest thing you said to me. I mean that right to me. See, that is the reasonable approach that you have to this. Here's Greg and Appleton. Says, you know, Jeff, have you lost your mind? Are you trying to say that we should apply common sense and look at the entire story before passing judgment on something involving politics? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's funny for that. Bob in Pewaukee. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Uh, just another example of uh, different levels of understanding. I thought about the old movie, and a bunch of your listeners probably remember that, Holiday Inn. 1944, Bing Crosby, Fred Astaire, Marjorie Reynolds. There's a where the movie there. Uh, White Christmas, where the song White Christmas was first introduced. Well, People think correct, it was White Christmas, correct, but it wasn't. Correct. It was Holiday Inn, yeah. And you notice when that is broadcast on TV, they cut out this scene. They're celebrating, uh, pre- well, now it's President's Day, but back then it was Abraham Lincoln's Day. And they dressed in blackface to celebrate, you know, they, they, did a, they did a song, Marjorie Reynolds and Bing Crosby. I don't think anybody is going to consider Bing Crosby to be racist. There was a different level of understanding. Right. This is a land of second chances. Okay, different understanding. Right. We're more enlightened, all that stuff. Let's, you know, forgive and let's move on. Right, exactly. I think at, at some point in time, and this, that's why I use the phrase, a statute of limitations on, on bad behavior, depending. You, you can you can present some situation to me where yeah I, I think that may, maybe you don't get the person a break, but again the, the guy that dressed as Mr. T or the gal that dressed as you know what whatever Diana Ross and you know went to the party dressed as Diana Ross um, back when Diana Ross and the Supremes were big or the, the story I was telling of Gladys Knight and the Pips you know okay so you go to a party dressed you know as, as you're the guy you're a Pip and you know you're your significant other goes dressed as Gladys Knight. All right, unless there's evil intent, I think maybe you got to cut people a break for stuff that happened decades ago. 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, we can reason together. One forty-eight. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, my New Year's resolution, I want to be the glasses half full guy. I mean, I'm, I'm working hard on that. Okay, so the weather forecast for this week. Well, okay, color it, it kind of kind of crummy, but but look, so you're, here's the deal. I am looking at the 10-day forecast. So tonight into tomorrow, they're talking about somewhere between 5 to 8 inches or so, depending on, on where you live, of, of snow. And then some snow flurries tomorrow. Wednesday's supposed to be okay. Thursday's supposed to be okay. And then maybe a little bit more snow moving in on Friday. Um, after that, partly cloudy, maybe some snow showers. But but after the, this Friday one, it doesn't look like, at least in the 10-day, that there's any you know, like huge amounts of snow that are out there. Okay, on top of that, 
unlike the last snowstorm, what, a week or two ago, when we had all that snow, it was followed by the two words that I never like to hear, polar vortex, where it's just, you know, it gets stupid cold, 20 below, 30 below, 40 below. At least this time, you're not going to get the stupid cold. I mean, I'm looking at the, the lows, and... Well, they say one day next, a week from Tuesday, who knows what it's going to be a week from tomorrow. They say it might be the highest 21 and the lowest 8. But we're, you're not looking at 15, 20, 30 degrees below zero. So, I mean, it's, and, okay, it, it's February 11th. February is a short month. Pitchers and catchers report this week. So the deal is, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much into March. So I'm trying to be the glasses half full guy. Yes, it's going to be crummy tonight into tomorrow. Yes, it might be crummy a little bit later on this week. But overall, overall, we're, we're getting through winter. Now, my producer, Groom, might say it's easy for you to say because you're going on vacation next week. You know, you're going somewhere warm. But I, I'm just, again, I am the glasses half full guy. All right. I did not watch much of the Grammys. Matter of fact, let me be honest with you. We, we had... We had friends over, Dave and Chris and Evan and Susan, and we had friends over. And so I didn't watch any of the Grammys last night, at least while they were on live. What I did later on in the evening is I watched some of the highlights of the Grammys. And one of, one, I think almost everybody would agree that one of the outstanding performances in the Grammys was, believe it or not, Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez had been tabbed to do the, the tribute to Motown and you know she she came on and she did a medley of songs and this dance number and if you haven't seen Jennifer Lopez on the Grammys doing this tribute to Motown you really should because I mean she just she just rocks it Um, she was doing tunes like um, Papa was a Rolling Stone she was doing um, let's see dancing in the street a number of the, these big songs performed Please Mr. Postman, Money, That's What I Want. It just, it, she just, she really rocked it. I mean, it was a great performance. So, okay, Jeff, why are we talking about Jennifer Lopez? Well, there has been, as soon as she did this, social media erupted with a controversy. Now, what might the controversy be? Well, Motown is, of course, Historically, it's African-American. It's black performers, right? That, that's it. Jennifer Lopez is not black. Jennifer Lopez, she was born in, in New York, born in Brooklyn, I believe. To, to, she's Latino. She's a Latina. She was born to Puerto Rican parents. So she's not black. So she goes out. She does this just great tribute to Motown, doing the songs and stuff, and that all of a sudden, again, social media – Huge backlash saying, hey, look, how could you pick, to this is to the Grammys, somebody who is not African-American to do the tribute to this African-American record label? All right, 414-799-1620. So the argument is, if we're going to do a tribute to Motown, that record label, what what we should have done, the Grammy should have chosen a black artist instead of a Latina. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just one segment. Do critics of Jennifer Lopez have, have a point? And it's actually... It's not so much, I think, being critical of Jennifer Lopez, but it would be critical of the Grammys for deciding we are not going to use an African-American artist to do this tribute to Motown. 
Is that a valid point? Was this cultural appropriation? I guess that's the buzzword for 2019. Or, hey, it was a great tribute. She did a great show. Let's move on. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. 153. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. One fifty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Milwaukee Brewers 2019 championship season is right around the corner, and this weekend is your first chance to secure your spot at Miller Park. It's the annual Arctic Tailgate, which gives fans a chance to purchase single-game tickets for the first time. WTMJ will be there all weekend in our big tailgater studio. That's our big talking box. Come by, say hello. Don't forget, WTMJ is your home for Brewers baseball. All right. At the Grammy Awards, I'm not sure how many people actually watched the Grammys, but they did a tribute to Motown, um, which is, of course, the, the, the great Detroit label that featured a number of African-American stars. And the, the Grammys decided to use Jennifer Lopez to come on, and, and she did the songs. Well, Jennifer Lopez is not African-American. Jennifer Lopez is Latina. And social media exploded. Oh, this is cultural appropriation. How dare you choose a Latina to sing Motown songs? Quincy in Milwaukee. Quincy, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Quincy. Oh. I think it's not okay to have Jennifer Lopez sing that song because she don't do, like, R&B. She do, like, some pop music. So I don't know why they chose her, and that's my thing. Well, let me ask you this, though, Quincy. Um I mean, yes, I understand she's more of a of a pop performer, but if she knocked it out of the park, I mean, simply because she's Latina instead of black, do you think that she shouldn't have been able to do it? Um, she can do what she wants to do, but I don't think she could do Motown. That's okay. all I'm saying. All right. Well, thank. Well, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I. If you watch this performance and look, and I, I, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Jennifer Lopez, one way or the other. But I, I mean, I, I just, if you watch this performance, and I went back and I did, I think she just absolutely, totally knocked it out of the park. I, I thought that she was great. Could you have found other artists that did a great job of it? Well, well, maybe you, you, you could have, but I guess. It's this idea that, well, you, you can't, we now have to typecast things. So, I mean, I, I don't care whether it's, th- th- does this mean that, for example, if you're doing a tribute to Aretha Franklin or Gladys Knight or Billie Holiday, well, you, you, you can't, you, you have to find automatically some African-American performer because you can't have a Barbara Streisand or you can't have a Lady Gaga or you can't have a Cher. What, whatever, go and, you know, sing songs that Aretha Franklin did or sing songs that Gladys Knight does or, or, or whatever, or Billie Holiday. D- does this now mean that we have to, we have to be racially sensitive and if we're going to go do a tribute to Motown, well, it, it's got to be an African-American. And then, okay, where do you draw the line? If you're going to do a tribute to, Barbara Streisand or a tribute to Cher, um, does that mean that you, you can't go out and find an African-American performer? I guess to me the question would be, are are they talented? Can they do it? Can they knock it out of the park? And, uh, again, you watch this clip of Jennifer Lopez, and I, I think she did a great job. From what I understand, nobody is saying, well, she, she didn't do a great job with the songs and the dance routines and stuff like that. It's just that she was a Latina, not black, and so maybe they shouldn't have chosen her. I mean, I thought we're supposed to be moving towards a colorblind society, and I swear it seems like we're farther and farther away from that every day. 159, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Stick around. We've got a great third hour of the program. I guarantee it. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You may remember last June there was the Tony Awards. That's the, the Broadway Awards. And 
Bruce Springsteen had a, a one-person show that was very, very successful on on Broadway, and he was getting an he was going to be getting an award, and he was going to be doing a musical performance at last year's Tony Awards, which occurred in June. And noted film actor Robert De Niro, he was tasked with introducing Bruce Springsteen. And you might remember this. De Niro comes out to the crowd, and he's supposed to introduce Bruce Springsteen. And he says, this is on live TV, I'm going to say one thing. And then he says, blank Trump, although he doesn't say blank Trump, he uses the F word. And then he starts pumping his fists in the air like a crazy man. And he says, it's no longer down with Trump, it's blank Trump. Except he doesn't say blank Trump. And so then, of course, you've got all the people, the, the beautiful people in New York. They're standing up and they're cheering. And then, then he goes on to introduce uh, Bruce Springsteen. But it's like, OK, this is this is what it's come to nowadays. And I remember when we talked about this in June. The, there, there wasn't much feedback at all. There wasn't any sort of fallout. And I just remember thinking, and I made this point at the time, that if... If it were, I don't know, you know, four years earlier, and you had a performer that had come out and same exact scenario, but instead of saying, I'm going to say one thing, blank Trump, they had said, I'm going to say one thing, blank Obama. It's no longer down with Obama. It's blank Obama. Now, if they would have said that, can you imagine the reaction? That performer, my argument would be, would never they would have been blacklisted in Hollywood. They would have been blacklisted on Broadway. Their, the, the career would have been over. But because it's Donald Trump, you have that different standard. All right, which brings me to the story today. Now, I, I said this at the start of the show. I, I'm a fan of the funny papers. I mean, I grew up reading comic strips, and I, I still... I still do. I don't get a hard copy of the Journal Sentinel delivered to the house anymore, but I do subscribe to the over the Internet. So I've got the digital thing, and on the digital thing, you can click on and you can get what they call the E-Edition, which shows you essentially how the paper is laid out, and you can read it like it appears in the paper. I do that for two reasons. Number one, I like to see how they have positioned stories and what stories from the Internet actually made it on the paper. Second reason I do it is, I like the funnies. I, I do. There, I, and I admit there's about there's about ten or eleven comic strips that I I read, and you can just go to the green sheet thing and you can read them online. So that that's that's what I do. So I like I like to read the funnies. So I acknowledge that. All right, there is there is a comic strip. It's called Non Sequitur. I, I, I don't. I don't read it. I don't think it appears in the local paper, but I, I could be wrong. I don't know. It's not one that I read. And the way these these comic strips work is, at least the way I understand it is, uh, the they don't send them, like the syndicator that, that puts together, that takes a lot of these comic strips, they don't just send them individually to the, the newspapers. They, they bundle them up and they send them them over. And in many cases, the newspapers don't really have an opportunity to edit them. They just, they just run them as they get it. Okay, so let me share with you what happened with this particular comic strip. And this is the way the Washington Post describes it. At first glance, Sunday's non-sequitur comic strip just showed bears dressed up like Leonardo da Vinci. The syndicated strip opens with Bear Vinci holding a picture of Vertuvian Bear. 
It ends with the artist painting a Mona Lisa, who is also, you guessed it, a bear. They're all characters in the Barisance, and the format invites readers to color in the drawings. Right, so this is, it's like, and this appears in the Sunday paper, but it's like these bear characters and stuff, and the idea is you can color them in. But much like da Vinci himself, Wiley Miller, whose work often tackles politics and is occasionally drawn controversy, inserted a secret message into his latest work. Hidden at the bottom right corner of the second panel, beneath a drawing of da Vinci's inventor's flying machine, a semi-legible scribble appears reading, Go blank yourself, Trump. Although it doesn't say blank yourself. It says the same word that Robert De Niro said when he appeared at the Tonys. The Butler Eagle, a family-owned newspaper north of Pittsburgh that syndicated non-sequitur, decided to pull the strip on Monday after an irate reader alerted the newspaper. One of our readers has a young daughter who reads the comics. This family sits down with his comics, and they stumble across this hidden message, said the paper's publisher. He said the newspaper had been publishing the comment for, comic for a few years and received it in a package with other syndicated comic strips that were already laid out. The decision to pull the comic... He said it was about the profanity and has nothing to do with who it is named at. According to the comic strip's publisher, this comic strip goes out to more than 700 newspapers, including the Washington Post, which ran Sunday's comic in print and online. A spokesman for the Washington Post did not comment. Uh, the syndicator has apologized for the vulgar language. We are sorry we missed it. If we had discovered it, we would have not distributed the cartoon without being removed. The cartoonist comes out and his initial response is, hey, this is what he puts out on Twitter, on Twitter, be sure to catch the Easter egg. Um, some of my sharp-eyed viewers have spotted a little Easter egg from Leonardo Bear Vinci. Can you find it? And, of course, an Easter egg is what they call, if you, if you put a, a, a surprise in like a, in a movie or something like that. So, I mean, clearly the comic strip artist knew what he was doing and intended to put this vulgarity in there when he sent it out. Now that there's a little bit of controversy, he's kind of backtracking a little bit. He said, well, yes, I, I wrote it. Um, I, I did put the scribbling down there, but I, I, I really I had intended to white it out, and I just forgot to do it. But, of course, again, before there's a controversy, he says, hey, there's this Easter egg out here. Well, so far... Only one newspaper has dropped this comic strip for the cartoonist intentionally putting this vulgarity directed at the president. All right, our number is four, and if you want to see the whole thing, and, it, and it's, this is not something that you know people are, are looking at and trying hard to figure out. The guy did it. it. It says what it says. It's in small print, but you can see it. If you want to see the thing, follow me at Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to it. But let's go back four years. If a cartoonist had done something like this, and let's take out the reference to Trump, instead had done this for Obama, or even in today's day and age had done it for Nancy Pelosi or Harry Reid or whatever, there's no doubt in my mind that that cartoonist would have had that comic strip dropped in all 700 or in the vast majority of the 700 newspapers that it is syndicated in. So 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think, number one, 
that the double standard that exists is appalling. Number two, I know President Trump is controversial. Believe me, I, I get it. And I understand that there's people that absolutely love him, and I understand that there's people that absolutely hate him. But have we really come to this point in 2019 where because because he is a lightning rod, if you want to put in obscenities like that in comic strips that are delivered to Sunday papers, you can do it with no consequences at all. I think the papers that carry that comic strip should drop it on principle. 414-799-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. It's 216. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. And by the way, like I say, this wasn't something inadvertent. This was something that the cartoonist did intentionally. He boasted about it on Twitter. He said, go find the Easter egg. Now he says, well, I meant to white it out, but he acknowledges he put it in there in the first place. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Should newspapers be tolerating this? And again, if it were Obama, not Trump, do you think that there would be a bigger deal? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 20, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, all right, 700 newspapers yesterday ran this comic strip called Non Sequitur. The cartoonist put in, in small letters, the uh, he, he used the word, I can't say on the radio, it's the F word, with reference to the President of the United States. That it, It's in there. And he said, yeah, I did it. That's my, my Easter egg that's there. One newspaper at least so far, one newspaper has dropped it. Nobody else has. My point is, if you tried to do this with certainly Barack Obama, that comic strip would have been canceled in all 700 newspapers that, that carried it. If you tried to do it with reference to, I don't know, by contemporary standards, Nancy Pelosi, it would have probably been canceled. Is this a double standard and what should happen? Debbie in Milwaukee. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Debbie. Hi. What do you think? I honestly think that he's lowered the bar so much that people will say and do things that they normally would not have done before he became president. Um, I just think that his actions and his way of speaking out have just lowered the bar. People are saying and doing things that they normally would not do. Is that always going to be the case? Is this now the new standard? I hope not. I hope not. I hope that things will become more sane as we move forward. But I honestly think it's going to take a long, long time for us to get back into our old norm. Do there so. need to be then consequences for for violating that, that norm? I mean, should, should newspapers be canceling this comic strip? Well, I think it's hard to place those consequences on a newspaper when we don't place those consequences on our own president. So I think it has to come from the top. I think that we have to make our own president accountable all the way throughout, you know, how we how we talk about him, how we act, and then hopefully that will slow down to our actions as well. Okay, let, let's, let's switch. Let's say that instead of using that phrase with regard to President Trump, let's say the guy was a conservative and he decided to use that with regard to Nancy Pelosi, you know, you know, blank Pelosi. Do you think the reaction would be the same? That is, uh, one newspaper cancels the strip. Yeah, I I honestly, at this point, think that everything goes. And I think both sides are doing things that they probably shouldn't do at this point. Okay. So I agree with you that, you know, it seems like 
uh, they're more attacking, attacking Trump that way, but mm-hmm. I think it's because he does the same thing. So they feel like it's okay. All right. It's okay. Okay. okay th- thanks for call. I guess, I, I mean, I, I understand it's easy to, to blame President Trump for anything because he is, he's unconventional and he's, he's in your face. But have we really gotten to the point, I guess, where there's, there, there's no standards that anymore with regard to anything? I mean, this is, Okay, you got you got a family news. You got a newspaper that is read by the families. This isn't some adult magazine. This is all right. These are it's not a news magazine or anything. These these are comic strips that you sit down and read. You know, read with your kids, and you have some cartoonist who decides that I I want to make this statement. I want to put this Easter egg that, that's in there. I guess I mean here here's the bottom line. Wh- whatever is contributed to the coarsening of the culture, and by the way. I don't accept the premise that you know Debbie was talking about that this is that this is necessarily something new. I was around, you know, during the the George Bush years. I, I saw the hate and the venom that came from you know the anti-Bush folks. Oh my gosh! And, and to me, that was just as intense the the sort of hatred that you saw directed at President Bush as as. You know what what you get from you know Donald Trump, and I'm not defending Donald Trump's behavior. I mean, I, I I've been put off by a number of the tweets and a number of the things and the phrases and all, and, and I do agree that we've got a coarsening that's going on here of the culture. But I, I guess it does strike me that it's the double standards that are out there with regard to nowadays. This idea is that anything. Anything can go, you know. Anything goes, and so, all right. It's it's just President Trump, so you can say this. I guarantee you that if you had a conservative cartoonist who had done the same thing and directed the remarks, even today, let's let's not go back in time, you know, three or four years, but had done the same thing and used that language and put the quote unquote Easter egg in and directed it at. I don't know, fill, fill in the blank. I, I said Nancy Pelosi before, Chuck Schumer, you name it. I guarantee you that there would be this incredible uproar, and I guarantee you that newspapers all across the country, if they did drop that strip, they would find you know people protesting outside their offices requiring them to, to do that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, and I guess I, I just, I mean, I just don't buy this idea that, well, you know, we don't like Donald Trump and we don't like the saying, so, so anything, anything goes, because I don't think anything goes. I don't think anything should go, and this idea that we're going to just completely and totally dumb down our standards is just frustrating to me. Jeff and West Bend. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Yeah, that should absolutely be pulled. You know what really irks me with the whole entire thing? I don't agree with a lot of things that Trump says. I definitely don't agree with a lot of things that he does. But where did it ever come that it's only the one side? There's two right. sides here that are completely acting like idiots, and it's not a Trump thing. First of all, I, and in this, I really honestly believe this. When somebody wins the presidency, I don't care who it is that you voted for, when somebody wins the presidency, where did the respect go for the person in the, in the seat? Or where did, that, forget the person, where did the respect go for the office for of the, the presidency? Right. I mean, they're allowing stuff like that to be said in our country about our own president. Maybe some of the things that he says is wrong, 
but he sure is, isn't too wrong when he says about the fake news. He sure isn't wrong about saying that they're a lynch mob after him. They really are. Well, I mean, and, thanks, no, no, thanks to call, Jim. I mean, see, and I, I guess this is, I, I guess th- this is the frustration that I have. And I mean, I'm getting a couple texts, and the, the, the texts are like, "Well, you don't, you don't understand. You know, Trump is Trump is evil. He deserves anything he can get. We should be able to say whatever we want. We are part of the resistance." Now, part of that comes from the fact that there's still people who haven't accepted the fact that Donald Trump won the election, and, and there is this like hostility. But it's we're part of the resistance, so the rules don't apply. We get to do anything thing we want and it, again is that really the standard this isn't politics is, is it now the standard okay you can go on national tv and you can use language that i think most of us would agree is is inappropriate um and but you, you can say that you can get well you can get the beautiful people to stand up and give you a a standing ovation you can do comic strips and i get it who cares necessarily about a comic strip but i mean it goes to 700 newspapers it's the sunday comics you know, you, you try to do this in any other context by intentionally putting the F word into that um, and then bragging about it. Well, I put this Easter egg here. You know, any other context, any other use of that, you would be fired and there would be outrage. But apparently now in America in 2019, well, it's no big deal. Well, I'm sorry. I think it is a big deal. And I think it's a big deal whether it would have been directed at Donald Trump or at Hillary Clinton or at Barack Obama, or at George Bush, whatever. And maybe maybe people on the right and the left and the center need to get some common sense about them and start recognizing that we're not going to totally throw standards out the window. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, the Milwaukee Brewers 2019 championship season right around the corner. This weekend is your first chance to secure your spot at Miller Park. It is the annual Arctic tailgate. Gives fans a chance to purchase single-game tickets for the first time. WTMJ will be there all weekend in our big talking box, the tailgater studio. Come by, say hello. Don't forget, WTMJ is your home for... Brewers baseball. You know, I listen to a lot of the national pundits, and they don't think much of the Brewers. I, I actually heard some people suggesting that they think the Brewers might finish fifth in the Central Division. Well, you know, the Cubs are the Cubs, and then you've got uh, St. Louis, which went out and added a couple players, and Cincinnati made that big trade, and they've got Matt Kemp and uh, Puig, and, and then, you know, Pittsburgh, they've got this pitchy. Brewers could finish fifth. Nuts to that. I mean, I think, again, that's the... Maybe that's just kind of the chip on my shoulder, but that's these these national commentators who don't like the fact that the Brewers have perhaps overperformed a little bit. Yeah. All right. I, I was talking about Soak the Rich. I've got a story I want to discuss with you in just a moment. But in that capacity, Soak the Rich, Mark Lazary, who is the um, one of the co-owners of the Bucks. Bucks having a just an absolutely great year. Bad game on Saturday night. I attribute that in part to my colleague and teammate Eric Bilstadt, Eric the Cooler Bilstadt, who went to the Bucks game and they just they laid an egg on Saturday night. But here's the deal. And now I understand this is hardly soaking the rich, and this is kind of like a parking ticket. But the reports are that Bucks co-owner Mark Lazary is being fined twenty-eight thousand dollars. He faces. Report says that the NBA has fined him twenty-five thousand dollars for tampering in the wake of comments he made about the New Orleans Pelican star Anthony Davis, to which my response is, oh, for goodness sakes, the NBA needs to get a life. Now, here's the deal. The NBA has this rule, and the rule says that 
um, no player coach or management person may entice or induce a player under contract with another team to play for his team. Okay, it, it, it kind of make, makes sense. All right. So the NBA trade deadline was last week. The Bucks actually swung a trade with New Orleans. But one of the big things that was going on is New Orleans had this star, Anthony Davis. And there were all these reports about how Anthony Davis had had listed four teams that he was willing to be traded to, Los Angeles, Boston, New York, I think, and, and the Bucks. I think that was that was it. He had agreed to be traded to those those teams, because he apparently said, those are the only teams that I would be willing to resign with. And uh, there was all these reports out there about how the Lakers had made all these offers. So that's what they're talking about. Is New Orleans shopping him, etc. So somebody asks Mark Lazary, and I don't know Mark Lazary from Adam, but, but they ask him, they say, hey, you know, there are these reports out there saying that Anthony Davis is willing, wants to come to Milwaukee and would be willing to sign a long-term contract. Now, this is in the context of the trade things. Now, for the longest time, Milwaukee has been kind of a Siberia among, you know, NBA teams. Fairly, unfairly, it's been like, oh, gosh, let's punish them. Let's send them to Milwaukee. That has changed over the last couple of years. And, I, I mean, I think it's a tribute to Bucks ownership. It's a tribute to some of the, the, the management, the drafting they've done. Of course, you've got Giannis. But, I mean, the, the Bucks have... I don't know if they're the favorite to win the NBA title, but they've got a darn good chance, I think, to win to to be competitive. And who knows? You know, maybe maybe they can win the NBA title. So anyhow, the, the report comes out that this you know this superstar um, is saying, well, you know, maybe you know Anthony Davis would want to come to Milwaukee, which is a great story. So they ask the co-owner Mark Lazary, and this is what he says. He says, well, I saw that report. I think it's great. It's a little bit of what we want. We want players to come and play in Milwaukee. And part of it is when you're winning and you're setting a standard for excellence, people see that. People want to win. Okay, well, tell me how that is 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 tampering. He's saying, oh, I'm getting this report that this guy wants to come here. I, I think it's great. It says what we're building. We want players to want to come here. All right, so then he goes on, and he says, it doesn't make any difference if you're winning in Milwaukee, New York, or L.A. The whole goal is winning. So we hope it would be players like Anthony Davis and others who come to Milwaukee. Oh, okay, tell me what's wrong with that. you got the owner of the team saying, I've got superstars that now want to come to play for me. I think it's great. And so then they ask him a, a follow-up, and they say, well, um, you know, would would you like to try to trade for him th- this summer? You know, if if does something doesn't get done before the the free agent thing and before the trade deadline, and he said, and they say, well, because you know, Boston and L.A. and other teams are interested. And he said, well, yeah, that makes it harder for us to do a deal. We'll see if we can figure it out. But he's saying, yeah, I'd be very interested in this player. He wants to come here. He's great. They fine him twenty five thousand bucks for that. I mean, give me a a break. I mean, all he's saying is, hey, I've got a team that people now want to play in the city in this new place. I think it's great if superstar players want to come here. And, and yeah, I understand that, you know, if the guys, if the guys open to wanting to move during the summer, you know, there's other teams that are interesting. That would make it harder for us to get them. But yeah, we, we'd look to figure that out. I mean, what's he supposed to say, for goodness sakes? No, I have no interest in this. And he's saying, sure, we'd look for something to see if it makes sense if he wants to come here. That to me isn't tampering at all in any sort of stretch of the word. No player, coach, or management person may entice or induce a player under contract with another team to play for his team. How is saying, hey, 
we'd love to have this guy come here. You know, and if there's a deal to be made, we'd we'd love to do something like that. And I think it's great he wants to come to Milwaukee. The NBA, all right, has the risk, if they pursue silliness like this, uh, of kind of looking like the the NFL with all its its pettiness and obsessiveness and obscure sort of rules. I don't think Mark Lazary, now like I say, they fine him $25,000. $25,000 to Mark Lazary is kind of a parking ticket to the rest of us. But still... It's the principle of the thing. I think Mark Lazary should appeal it. Just say it. I mean, keep the $25,000, give it to charity or something like that. I don't think he did anything wrong. The bottom line is it's a tribute to the Bucks that you've got superstar players who now have them on their short list. 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, all right, if you've acquired assets, should you feel guilty about it? We'll discuss. Stick around. Forty-six, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Uh, in this country, typically we tax income. So you you make and and we have a, a progressive tax structure. You know where you the more money you make, the more money that you end up paying. So somebody and again talking about general terms, and let's not worry about deductions or something. You know you, you make fifty thousand dollars a year. You you pay a certain amount. Uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, a certain amount. They have marginal tax rates, which mean the the first thirty five thousand or whatever is taxed at one rate, and then the next forty thousand is taxed at another rate, and it increases and increases. One of the ongoing discussions that some of the more liberal Democratic candidates for president are touting is what we need to do is we need to have very, very high tax rates on high income earners. You make $10 million a year, you should be paying 70% on everything above $10 million, or, or whatever the, those numbers would be, right? That's, that's going after income. There's something else that's going on as well. We do not tax wealth as a general rule. Now, there are certain exceptions to that, but we don't tax wealth. We tax income. So if you have, let, let's say let's say you're worth $100 million for the sake of argument. That's kind of a nice round number. Um, and but, but it's all sitting in houses that you own, et cetera, et cetera. You don't pay tax on your net worth. You pay tax on how much income you earned during the given year. That's the way it has largely always been. That's not the way that some Democratic candidates, including Elizabeth Warren, that's not what they want to do. What she wants to do is impose a plan that calls for a wealth tax, an annual tax not on income, You'd have to pay income tax, too, but on all assets like stocks, real estate, art, anything that's owned by people. In this case, she says households that have more than $50 million. We think we should impose a wealth tax, 2% every year on the wealth. We will have the government come in and assess the value how much do you have in stocks? How much is that house worth? How much is that house worth? How much is the cars worth? All that. And then we will assess a separate tax, 2%. 
it would go up to 3% on people that had more more stuff. So let's go after the wealth. The people, for example, like Chris Abley. I don't know what Chris Abley's, Abley's you know, annual earnings are from his salary as county executive and like the income that he has. But it wouldn't be going after that. It would be say, let's look at the value of the stuff you have and let's go after that. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We've really never done this in, in this country. Um, they've tried to do it in a couple of European countries, and it's generally failed because it's impossible to get an, an accurate assessment on, on how much people are really worth, and people you know move their income around to avoid it. But th- this is the ultimate soak the rich idea. If you've got rich people, and by the way, the, the rich people and the super rich people, they're, they're still paying income taxes. So they're still paying taxes on all the money that they've earned in a given year. But this would now say, okay, you've got assets, you've got stocks worth $10 million, what was it, is that the number, or whatever, we're going after $50 million. But it, it could be it could be ten million, it could be twenty million, it could be five million. Should we start imposing a tax on people's assets? Is that a more fair way to do it? And I guess my question would too be too, what why do you end it why do you stop at fifty million? Why not make it five million? Why not make it ten million? Should we be taxing the assets that people have in order to generate revenue? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, wouldn't this be fair? You have people that have amassed fortunes. Why should they be entitled to keep those fortunes? Why shouldn't they have to share part of that with with everybody else? I mean, if you're worth twenty million dollars or you're worth fifty million dollars, and um, you know that's not me, you know, why, why should you be able to keep that? Why should you be able to, well, if you're going to buy that, that penthouse in New York and you're going to buy those three houses in California, why shouldn't we count that as stuff you have and then make you pay a tax on it? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mike in Waukesha says, hey, hi, do that and you will see double-digit declines in philanthropic spending. Well, yeah, I think that's partly a thing. But I, I guess to me... Th- this is this bigger point. When did wealth become a bad thing? When did we decide that we have to punish people because they have acquired assets? I understand you, you've got the whole income. I, I get it. We have income tax rates. We have progressive tax rates. We have, you know, so you, you pay more the more you make. I get it. I don't have a problem with that. But the idea that, gee, okay, you have real estate or you have investments. You pay the tax on that, obviously, if you liquidate it. I mean, for example, you've got money in your 401k account. Let's say you've got 100 grand, and you decide you, you've put it in there, you've, you've saved it free of taxes, you take that 100 grand out. Well, then you have to pay on it. I get it. I don't have any problem with that at all. But why should you have to essentially pay double? You pay tax on the money you take to buy the property. All right, I took the money out, I bought my house. Now you expect me every year to pay a percentage of the value of of my house? How is that how is that fair for want of a better word? Let's talk to Johnny in Grafton. Johnny, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey. Hi. I'm not a wealthy person. I'm going to tell you that right now. 
but I believe in the American dream where you're allowed to build wealth. If you're smart and you're entrepreneurial or whatever right. it may be, and you build wealth, you pay taxes on those assets when you buy them. Right. You right. didn't have to pay taxes on your assets after you buy them. Right. It, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah. If you want to buy that half a million dollar house, okay, you're paying taxes on on the money you pull out of your 401k or whatever, or you're paying taxes on the, the stuff you've earned to buy it. Right. Why should you be double taxed just because you now bought it? Exactly. You're, you're being double taxed on something you already paid tax for. I mean, you buy a car. Do you want to be taxed again on the car you bought? Right. No. And, and, right. And every year. Every year. Okay, so you've gone ahead and you've you've purchased that nice sports car and you had to save for a few years to do it. So now we're going to tax you every year on the value of the car in addition to the money you use. Now, thanks to call. That's exactly what this is. And and this is this idea that here, you know, people who have accumulated wealth, they don't deserve it. They're not entitled to it. And, and we're entitled to take some of it from them. And I have a texture who makes the point. So because someone was frugal their whole life, as opposed to someone who spends every penny they earned they are going to be punished yeah that that's that's precisely it you save you know you invest you take that money right exactly if you spend every dime you get all right well then you have no assets well don't worry you're not going to get hit by this on the other hand you save you invest you succeed it is about and johnny makes exactly the right point it's about the american dream when did the American dream become a bad thing? This is a horrible idea. I understand it's going to have some appeal to some of the people who want to take this country down the road towards socialism. I am hoping we collectively wake up and realize this is just not what America is all about. It's 2.54. When we come back, Scott Warris, Melissa Barkley, we'll find out what they have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.